Our scripture reading today is taken um, from the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 1 uh, through 11, chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To the, another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. I thought I'd start us off on a real light note, real upbeat uh, quote there. Let me, let me start by saying good morning and welcome. Uh, I'm Sully, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and glad to be with you today, glad to be opening up God's word with you. If that quote that I just read right at the beginning, the, gradual, the, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's from a book by C.S. Lewis. Lewis has already been mentioned this morning. Uh, it's a book called uh, The Screwtape Letters, and it's uh, this fictional story between an older demon and a younger demon. And the older demon is teaching the younger demon how to be successful, how to lead people astray. And in one of the most famous passages, he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. What he's saying is that if you want to really lead someone astray, you don't want to rock the boat too much. You don't want them to be aware of how far they've drifted. Rather, you want to leave them indifferent apathetic, not really paying much attention to where they're going. That, he says, is the safest way to hell. Apathy, it's a comfort that kills. I think apathy is one of the hardest things, though, to overcome. It can sometimes feel inescapable. And today, I, I know that for a lot of us, we, can, we know what it feels like to feel apathetic at moments. We know that we should go for a run. But man, the desire, the, the, the actual ability, the will to get up and actually go for that run, just is usually never there. At least for me, it's never there. But apathy spills over into our spiritual lives as well. And there are days and there are seasons where it feels dry. It may feel as if there's just a lack of desire to get up and to commune with the Lord, to spend time in prayer and the Word and gather with his other believers on Sundays. Well, this morning, I want to speak to those of you who feel maybe a little spiritual apathetic, who, who feel as if they're in a season of dryness, and I want to encourage you today that that condition, well, it, it doesn't have to last. 
And I want to speak to those this morning who are here who maybe are spiritually, uh, maybe you're on a spiritual journey, you're interested, or maybe you're spiritually skeptical. And I want to tell you about a power that has the ability to set ablaze the most apathetic of hearts by the love of God. Today I want to talk to you about the Spirit of God, the gift of the Spirit of God, and how it is the only thing powerful enough to wrestle us free from our spiritual apathy. I think your spiritual apathy is no match for the Spirit of God. So we get started. I want to ask the Lord for his help, acknowledge his presence with us. So would you pause with me and pray? Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, we greet you this morning. We give you thanks for your steadfast love. Thank you that your care and compassion towards us are constant in our life. Thank you that as we gather this morning, you know each one of us. You know our needs. You know what is on our mind, the anxieties that we carry with us. Lord, you know the challenges we face, and we thank you that you have a word for us. You have something to encourage us, a word to keep us going. Father, I, I do confess this morning my spiritual apathy, and I pray, that, I pray that you would work this morning. I pray that not just in spite of my weakness, but rather through my weakness, you might be glorified. Father, do a work in our hearts that only you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're wondering when on earth Pastor John's going to be back in the pulpit, you don't have to wait too much longer. Next week, he will be back with us, Lord willing, as we continue into, uh, through our series through the book of, of 1 Corinthians. We've uh, turned a corner now in the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're heading towards the last couple of chapters. And we've mentioned uh, that these last couple of chapters address issues that were arising when the church gathered to worship together. And there's one particular phrase that we want to stand out in the next couple of weeks as we wrap up our time in 1 Corinthians. And it's, it's the, the phrase, a more excellent way. It comes at the end of chapter 12 when Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's telling them that he wants to show them a more excellent way, the way of love. We've been titling this sermon series, Church on Fire, and, and really, Paul doesn't just want them to be known as this church with a lot of problems, you know, set ablaze, it's a problem-filled church. He wants them to be a church that is known for being set ablaze by the love of God. He wants them to be a people who follow the more excellent way, the way of love. Well, there's a, a, a writer, um, Eli Wiesel, I believe, he's a Holocaust survivor, the author of, my, I think, my favorite memoir called Night, and he's written this. He said, and see if you agree with this, he says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Whether you agree with all of those things that he says, he's trying to pull out the problem of indifference. That really, I think today, the greatest rivalry, greatest rival to us, being a people of love, is our apathy. Our lack of motivation, our ability to really desire to love, love God and to love each other. So today, what I want to do as we walk through our passages, really kind of formulate our time together around this question about what has the power to wrestle us free from spiritual apathy. And so we're going to work through uh, the text in two, two different sections. The first three verses, we're going to look at how the Spirit of God can handle and deal with our apathy towards God. And then verses 4 through 11, we'll see how God can deal with our apathy towards one another. So grab your Bible and meet me back in verse 1. Our passage begins with a familiar phrase. The phrase is now concerning spiritual gifts. 
This little formula of saying now concerning and then introducing a topic, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a habit of Paul as he's worked his way through different topics to introduce different things by saying now concerning dot, dot, dot. He introduces the new topic that way. You have to remember that Paul is responding to a letter that he received from the church in Corinth. This letter was written to him about a number of different issues, and so he's been kind of working his way through it. And so he's turning, and he's now saying, now concerning this topic, the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, we don't have the letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul, and so we don't exactly know what the issue is that they were asking him to clarify. It, it could be that they were asking, hey, what are we to make of all these spiritual gifts? Or maybe they were asking, these people are performing incredible things. How, how are we to make sense of this? Or how are we to evaluate and discern what these people are doing and what they're teaching. Well, in uh, your Bible, you might notice the word spiritual gifts. There might be a little annotation next to it. It, it actually can be translated spiritual peoples. Now, now concerning spiritual people, it, in some ways, as we turn to chapter 12, it begins now concerning the things of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the gifts and the things that the Spirit does in our life. A few weeks ago, we had a guest preacher with us from Kenya, Pastor Ronald Kogo, a friend of ours, uh, one of the pastors we partner with in East Africa. Um, and anytime I have the opportunity to, to speak with and, and talk about what it's like to pastor with, these, with our partners in East Africa, it's really apparent that their culture is far more aware of spiritual uh, powers in the world. In a lot of ways, our culture is probably a pretty spiritually disconnected culture. And I would argue that Probably our indifference or, or really our ignorance to the spiritual powers going on in the world around us isn't so much proof that they don't exist, but rather they exist. Uh, our ignorance is a direct result of their presence in the world. So today as we turn, I want to come back to this quote by C.S. Lewis that says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The enemy knows that if we are disconnected, if we're not really paying attention or even aware, we will drift far and wide. And before we realize it, we'll be too far to even realize what, what to do about it. As we look at our passage today, starting in verse 1, I want to read verses 1 and 2. It, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. It's easy when reading uh, the Bible, especially the letter like this, to assume that we, we're just smarter then the first audience, we're, we're better than these Corinthians. Uh, how foolish do you have to be to be led astray, to follow mute idols? Well, for a moment, I want to give them a, a little bit of sympathy. Think a little bit about, you know, giving them, a, putting ourselves in their shoes a bit. If you lived during the time of, of the Corinthians and lived in the city of Corinth, you would realize that mortality was high, life was hard, comfort was far and wide, was far from you, and so, in that city that was saturated with idols, everyone followed idols. Everyone went and looking for comfort and peace and, and hope from idols. And so it was a way of life. And so I would guess that you too would find yourself following these mute idols. I, I think that it'd be really interesting if one of the original readers of the letter of 1 Corinthians, if they could speak to us today, if they could look into our culture and our world, I wonder what they would say. Would they look at us and be like, how foolish are they to put so much trust in their jobs, in their careers, in those relationships? Aren't they also just mute idols? I think that the difference between us and the Corinthian church might not be, or the gap between us might not be as wide as we want to think it is. 
verse 2 says that the Corinthians, they were led astray. The, the words led astray. It's not really conjuring up in your mind, uh, you know, just wandering off the trail. Uh, you know, maybe you go off, you want to pick some, you know, some fruit from a tree, and so you wander off the trail. No, this is the connotation that's coming from these words, led astray, are really the idea of being chained and carted off like a prisoner. That's where these words usually occur, is when a prisoner is being led away. If you see here in verse 3, what Paul is doing is he's trying to remind the Corinthians the power of the Spirit in their life. That he wants them to reflect back on their condition. That they were like captives being led astray to these mute idols, and the only thing that's strong enough that wrestled them free was the Spirit of God. Verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Keep, keep your eyes there on verse 3. Notice that first word in the verse. It says, therefore, connecting verse 2 and verse 3 together. You were captives, and yet the only thing that has made a difference in your life is that the Spirit of God has come and has set you free. That the only one who can claim Jesus is Lord is the one who is in the Holy Spirit. The phrase, the, the word Jesus is Lord, it's a simple sentence, but it's a revolutionary, radical sentence. In the New Testament, the title Lord refers to the sovereign God of the Bible, the God who spoke and created the world. To refer to the Lord is to refer to the God who delivered the uh, uh, Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It's the God who parted the Red Seas. To speak of Jesus as Lord is to claim that he is the one who is sovereign and equal with the God of the Old Testament. To claim this isn't just a political or religious claim. It's to say that he is king, ruling and reigning at this very moment. And no one believes this. No one can claim this, Scripture says, unless you have the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to awaken in us the true identity, to see the true identity of Jesus. And later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul will actually say that the role of the Holy Spirit is to make clear for us the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's the role of the Spirit in us. I want you to hear this morning that genuine faith is completely a gift of God. I mean, sin has not just tarnished our ability, distorted our ability to do good, it's distorted our ability even to see good, to see God's glory. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is that is that power, the supernatural power that allows us to see what we couldn't on our own. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he says, for by grace you have been saved and through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift to be able to claim Jesus as Lord. And here's the cool thing, this is, this is the encouraging thing. Nothing can stop the Spirit of God from accomplishing what it sets out to do. When Jesus talks about building his church, he says that not even the gates of hell will stop him. That the Spirit of God who sets out to awaken souls to the glory of God in the face of Christ, nothing will stand in his way. And so hear this this morning. Your spiritual apathy is nothing in comparison to the gates of hell. And if God says that even the gates of hell won't prevail, then I know that your spiritual apathy will not prevail that your spiritual apathy is no match for the Spirit of God. So let me draw a few applications, a few implications for us. First, if you're in a spiritually dry season, if you are in a, spirit, a, a sense where, man, you just are lacking the desire that, that you have for the Lord, 
I want to, I want to tell you, don't despair. Don't despair. You may be thinking this morning, if, if God is the only one who can really awaken in me the passion and love for God, then why really do anything? Why even try? Why show up? Why spend time in prayer? Why read scripture? Well, sometimes faith in moments of where we're feeling spiritually apathetic or dry seasons, sometimes in those moments, faith looks like simply showing up and believing that God is going to do what only he can do. And so I would encourage you that, man, in those moments where you're just, you don't lack the desire, when you're just feeling dry and apathetic, man, if you, if you just simply open up your word, open up the Bible, show up for church, you will find that there is a, a spiritual force greater and stronger than your spiritual apathy. Secondly, another implication to this reality that it's the Spirit of God that awakens a love for God in us. And it's related to evangelism. I think that the, the fact that it is God himself who awakens in us a love for him, it should be actually one of the greatest motivators for us as a people of God to keep proclaiming, keep extending an invitation to come and follow Jesus. Because when it is difficult and it is hard to share our faith, and it seems as if no one is responding to our invitation to come and to worship, to respond to the gospel, we keep going because we believe that it's not based on our strength, but based on the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. What keeps us coming to our knees in prayer for those we love to respond to the gospel isn't uh, something that we have to conjure up ourselves. It is, it is because we believe that the Spirit of God is moving in the world and is bringing people, awakening people from death to life. So this morning I told you that I want to show you that spiritual apathy is no match for the Spirit of God. And in our passage today, it demonstrates the power of the Spirit by showing us that it can awaken us to a love for God but the second, pa- second part of our passage, 4 through 11, tells us how the Spirit can deal with our apathy towards one another. If you think about it for a second, loving God and loving others, if you compare those two tasks, it seems as if the easier of the two tasks is to love God. Because Scripture speaks of God as the Holy One, a righteous one, who is patient and kind, faithful, steadfast, is always loving That's how God is described. And if we were just told a few moments ago in Scripture that we need supernatural help to love God, how much more so then do we need help to love each other? I'm going to offend you here for a moment. I'm going to tell you, would you believe me if I told you that it takes supernatural abilities to love you? I mean, I know I'm difficult. I know I'm a little annoying. But really? Spiritual, supernatural strength to love one another? Well, that's what scripture says. So we look to verses 4 through 11. What, what Paul says here is that the gifts of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our community, is actually to help us to serve and love each other. Look at verse 4. He says, Now these are, uh, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Remember for just a second the context that Paul is writing in. Here in these couple of final chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, he's writing about issues that are arising when the church gathers. And one of the issues that was beginning to bubble up at this time was the issue of spiritual gifts. And there's confusion concerning these different spiritual gifts. And the Corinthians were becoming enamored with one particular gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. And I know you might have a lot of questions about speaking in tongues. In the next couple of chapters, we're going to maybe answer some of those questions. We'll, we'll be talking a lot more about it in the coming weeks. But, 
But really what Paul is doing in this particular part of the, of the letter is beginning to help make the argument that we shouldn't make some hierarchy of spiritual gifts. That we shouldn't think of some spiritual gifts are better than others. In verses 4 and 5, when I just read a moment ago, it says that we shouldn't make you know, a hierarchy of different spiritual gifts because every activity is empowered by the same Lord. I, you know, the emphasis of this passage isn't so much to explain the Trinity, but I do want you to notice here for a second how Paul, in writing this, equates the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father all in this passage. He equates them together, that it's the same Lord who empowers them in you. This passage both uh, encourages and it also humbles us. It encourages us to know that the, the Lord of the universe is the one who gives us gifts and empowers us to do things. But it's also humbling to know that no matter what good we do, it is all because of the grace of God that he gives us the ability to do this. You see, spiritual gifts are not a result of maturity. It's not because you've obtained some level of spiritual maturity that all of a sudden you now unlock a bunch of gifts. No, spiritual gifts are a means towards maturity. Spiritual gifts are a means by which we can grow in our capacity to love God and to love each other. Whether you're serving on a Sunday morning by leading the service up front or whether you're serving coffee or sounds like they're having a great time over in Kid City. <laughs> whether you're out there hanging out with the kids, whatever it might be doing on a Sunday morning or in our congregation, your activity is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so let's, as a church, let's not try to be a community that one-ups each other and tries to create some spiritual hierarchy. Let's, let's believe that it is the same God who empowers us in all of our activities. You see, God is glorified when we who are weak are actually display these gifts. It's God who is glorified. It's not meant to lift ourselves up or make ourselves impressive when we use our spiritual gifts to serve one another. It's not so that people might be impressed with us, but it's so that they might be impressed with God. I'm reading a, a book right now uh, by Oswald Chambers called Spiritual Leadership, and he tells this story about Francis Assisi. And uh, Francis Assisi had a lot of followers, a lot of people who wanted to listen to him. And it tells this story of a brother who came alongside of St. Francis Assisi and asked them, hey, why you? Why do people want to follow you? Why, why do people want to listen to what you have to say? This is how he responded. He said, you, you want to know? It's because the eyes of the Most High have willed it so. He continually watches the good, the wicked, and as his most holy eyes have not found among sinners any smaller man, nor any more insufficient and sinful. Therefore, he has chosen me to accomplish the marvelous work which God hath undertaken. He chose me because he could not find none more worthless. He wished to confound the nobility and the grandeur, the strength and the beauty and the learning of this world. It's quite humbling when you think about the opportunity to serve and to use the ways, the gifts that you have, and to be reminded that it is not so that you might be viewed as impressive, but rather it is because you are so weak, so insufficient, that God has granted us to do incredible, miraculous, supernatural things so that he might be glorified. As we look at our passage, it's a, a warning to us to not lose sight of the fact that all of the spiritual gifts that we have as a community, they're not to make us feel impressive or make ourselves think we're better than other churches. No, it's actually in order that we might have a greater view of who God is that we might have the capacity to love one another. 
Verse 7 in our passage makes really clear why it is we have been given spiritual gifts. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You couldn't say it more clearly. He says, I am blessing you with gifts so that you might bless those around you. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that, that used all of their blessings, all of their gifts to benefit each other? One of my favorite movies is this really kind of goofy movie called Waking Ned Divine. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's this, this movie about this community on the coast, a small coastal town in Ireland. And Ned, lucky Ned, unfortunately, won the lottery and out of shock, died. And his friends found him holding the winning lottery ticket in his hands and they said, well, I think Ned would probably want us all to benefit from his good fortune. So they took his lottery ticket and convinced the lottery officials that he was still alive and then they split the earnings between the entire community. It's this really kind of goofy story, but it, it makes you just feel good as you watch it about a community that really just uses all of its blessings to bless each other. If anyone's going to win the lottery, let me know. Um, but I just think that, that for us in a world that, that has been so shaped by a world that, that thinks about itself first, that thinks about how whatever ways we've been blessed are meant to really just serve us and to get us ahead, it takes a lot of effort to really change that way of thinking. We live in a, a world of re replaceability. I mean, everything we have, we buy, but we feel like, all right, we can just buy another one. We even let this bleed over into the way we think about ourselves, that we ourselves are replaceable too. And so we don't really think much about uh, our decisions and how they might impact other people. This passage actually really challenges this culture of transientness that we have. This idea that I can just up and move because it doesn't make much of a difference. This passage says that you have been uniquely gifted to serve the people around you. That you not being here, well, it, it's not just you missing out. It's actually this whole community is missing out on what you have to offer. Your giftings that God has uniquely given you to serve one another. So Holy Trinity Church, may we begin to learn how to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another. In verses 8 through 11, Paul goes on to list a number of these spiritual gifts. And this isn't a complete list, but he does mention a few. So I want you to look at them with me. Again, this is verse 8. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's make a couple of observations about this list. First, notice the repetition of the word, to another. It's repeated so many times in this passage. To another, I give this gift. To another, I give this gift. He doesn't give to any single person all of the gifts. He intends us to be in community. He intends each one of us to need each other. And so God has individually apportioned spiritual gifts to individuals. Secondly, notice the gifts mentioned here, the gifts of prophecy, healing, and faith. He doesn't really go into much detail to explain what this actually looked like in the community. He doesn't go into detail about how this looks or what it, what it means to have this gift. He really, though, doesn't distinguish between the ideas of wisdom and knowledge, but what we can conclude from this list is that these were supernatural abilities. 
Yes, we're called to be wise. Yes, we're all called to have faith. But somehow he's referring here to just abilities that are beyond uh, what we normally would see. Unique manifestations of faith and wisdom. Third, you, we can notice here that this is not a complete list of spiritual gifts. Paul will actually make other lists and refer to other lists of spiritual gifts to people or that the Spirit gives us. And so we're really not meant here to say, like, oh, this, these are the only ways that the Spirit gifts us. No, Paul doesn't dare constrain the Spirit to a single list, for it's the Spirit who determines what he gives and who he gives it to. But Paul's point in providing this list is to draw our attention to the multiple ways that God is at work in us and through us. The multiple ways, the diverse number of ways the Spirit gifts us in order to love one another. Verse 11, and these, all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He has gifted you so that you might love those around you. It's the gifts of the Spirit that enable you to supernaturally love those who would normally be considered enemies. That's what Ephesians 2 says, that he has brought us from life to death and he's broken down the barrier between us. And these gifts are meant to serve the common good. The Spirit is the ultimate gift giver and his gifts we should delight in and rejoice in and give thanks for and use for the glory of God and the good of the church. So let me come this morning back to this big idea that your spiritual apathy up against the Spirit of God is like a house of cards in the wind, it will not stand. Your spiritual apathy is no match for the Spirit of God, and so I want to conclude today with a couple of applications. The first application this morning is that I want you to know as you leave today that whether you know it or not, you are rich in the Spirit. Verse 11 says that the Spirit has given us gifts individually, and these de- we should desire these gifts. Let's, let's pray that we would, we would desire these gifts of the Spirit And together, let's begin to spend some time thinking through the different ways that God has gifted you. If you aren't really sure exactly how the Lord has gifted you or what spiritual gifts the Lord has provided you, let me give you three simple things to do this week. One is spend some time learning what the spiritual gifts even are. There's lists in the Bible. You can go read read 1 Corinthians 12. Go read Ephesians 4. Go read Romans 12. Ask the Lord to reveal to you the gifts that he has provided you. Secondly, what you need to do to discern your spiritual gifts is ask the people around you. Ask the people who know you. Hey, you know me. How do you think the Lord has gifted me? What are the ways in which I am uniquely gifted to serve people? Third is look around you. Look around to the people near you and and acknowledge and, and recognize some of the needs of people around you. God has gifted each individually so we might serve those around us. And so if God is wanting to meet the needs of our community, might it be that you are the one who's uniquely gifted to meet that need? Well, I believe today that we should leave this place, as I said, believing that we are rich in the Spirit. But let me bring to one one other application for us as we wrap up. And it's for those of you who are in maybe a spiritually dry season, feeling a little spiritually indifferent and discouraged, don't think your situation is inescapable. Sometimes apathy feels like the hardest thing to ever outgrow or get out of or break the habits of. I want you to hear this morning that light is dawning in the darkness and it cannot be stopped. The spirit of God that is a, is a force to be reckoned with. The spirit of God as we read about the spirit in the scriptures is the, is the spirit that breathed life into the pilot dust and Adam came to life. The spirit of God is the force that 
drove Ezekiel out and prophesied to a valley of dry bones, and those bones began to form into humans, and the Spirit brought life. So if you feel like a pile of dust, or if you feel like a valley of dry bones, I want to invite the Spirit to come into your life and do what only He can do. He is the God, the Spirit, who can bring an ocean where there's a desert. I believe that. And I want you to remember this morning that, that God has uniquely gifted this community to help you, to serve you, and to love you through that season. So come and dwell amongst this community of people who are gifted to love you. But here's where I'm going to land the plane this morning. We've talked this morning about how the Spirit of God is, is actually working in us in order for us to love God and to love each other. But I want you to finish this morning knowing that the Spirit of God isn't simply given to you in order that you might love, but that you might know the love of God. When we think about uh, what Paul says later in 2 Corinthians, that it is the role of the Spirit that makes the glory of, of God shine in the face of Christ. That is what, Christ is doing, uh, what the Spirit does in our life. It helps us to understand the height and the depth of God's love for you. When the Lord thought about how is it he, he could love this church, or to love us, how could he show us his love? He looked amongst all creation. He found nothing that could express his love. No amount of money, no gift, but rather what he saw was the greatest way he could show us his love is by giving us of himself. And so Christ came down and he died on the cross for us. And he looked at us and he said, I have done an amazing thing, amazing act of love, and yet these people... Sin has so corrupted their abilities that they need supernatural help to comprehend this extraordinary, extraordinary love. And so Jesus sent his helper, the, the Spirit, who is equal with God. And somehow, in some mysterious ways, it's actually better that we have the Spirit than the physical Christ with us. When in, later on in Scripture, when Jesus was telling, in John 16, when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to depart from them, they were sorrowful, and yet Jesus told them, it is for your advantage that I go, and that I send my Spirit. Somehow, the Spirit being amongst us today is working, is bringing people to life. It is the Spirit of God that whispers to us in those moments where we feel discouraged that God is with us. In the moments when we are feeling abandoned and alone, it is the Spirit of God that speaks to our soul and says, God is faithful. It's the Spirit of God in moments of darkness, of suffering, in moments when it feels like we're waiting and nothing is changing. It's the Spirit of God that speaks to us and reminds us of the promises of God. It's when we feel most weak that it's the Spirit of God that moves within us that even though there is no reason for us to lift our voices and praise God, it is the Spirit of God that moves us to praise God, to love Him, and to love each other. Light is dawning in the darkness, and it will not be stopped. To God be the glory. Gracious Father, we give you thanks this morning that you are on the move, that, Father, your Spirit has the ability to break us free, to wrestle us free from spiritual apathy. Father, I pray this morning that you would pour out your spirit, that, Father, for those who feel dry, feel as if they are alone, feel as if their apathy is inescapable, that, Father, you would do a work that only you can do. Father, help us to comprehend the great love that you have shown us in Christ. 
Father, help us to see the Spirit's work in us and help us to discern our gifts. Lord, help us to, to use these gifts to serve one another for your glory and the good of the church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.